Our reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, page 1188 in the Church Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, page 1188. Reading from verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Eleven years ago, some of you were just starting primary school. Uh, I don't know what the rest of you are doing. Uh, 5th of February, though, 2004, there was a terrible disaster uh, in a place called Morecambe Bay in Lancaster. That's near Derby uh, for some of you. At Morecambe, uh, when the tide goes out, it goes out two and a half miles, reveals that much sand. It's a pretty impressive uh, beach when the tide's out, but it's not just um, any old beach. It's got a nasty combination uh, of fast tides, quicksand, and unpredictable sandbanks and channels. And it's most uh, famous, you might not know it's famous, uh, for cockle picking. For those of you who don't know what cockles are, uh, they're a type of seafood which can be collected at low tide. Perhaps you've heard of cockle shells uh, in a nursery rhyme. Uh, But on that day, 11 years ago, uh, some of you will know that a group of Chinese cockle pickers uh, tragically drowned. They were out at night on the beach in the darkness, two and a half miles from the mainland, completely unaware of the danger. Uh, They thought they were working in safety, but suddenly, in the darkness, the tide turned And while they had their heads down looking for cockles, they were completely caught out by the tide. It rushed across the sand, it rose around them. On that day, the water was completely unescapable, and 23 of those cockle pickers drowned. It was a terrible disaster. Now this evening, our focus is on another day. Uh, a day in the future. But it's also a day that the Bible calls uh, a day of disaster. Paul calls it in uh, verse 2, the day of the Lord. 
Uh, it's not to do with tides and cockle picking. Uh, it's the day of God's final judgment for every man, uh, woman on this earth who's ever lived. It's a day uh, that the Old Testament speaks about as a day of God's wrath, of his righteous anger, of his vengeance against all those who've not turned back to him in repentance and faith. It's described as a terrible day of disaster when even the mountains uh, will tremble. It's not just an Old Testament idea, though, that some people might have you think. No one has spoken more about this day than Jesus himself. And he himself says that on that day, for some it will bring eternal disaster. Now, lots of people uh, today will completely deny the idea of God and the idea of a judgment day. A few years ago, you might remember the sign, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and just enjoy your life. Well, that's a very dangerous way to think. Other people uh, will debate, won't they, that it's an unthinkable thing to think that a loving, kind God could judge the world. How could a loving, kind, good God send people to hell? Now, we don't have time to deal with that question uh, in detail tonight. If that is a question that you've got, or perhaps a a question your friends um, ask you, um, I can recommend this book, What Kind of God, by a guy called Michael Otts. If you haven't read it, it's really good, but it's got a really good chapter, very readable, very short, which is helpful uh, if you'd like that. If it's not on the bookstore, you can borrow mine, or I can photocopy it for you. So some people debate. Some people get completely fascinated over all the details about this day. They start to try and predict exactly when it's going to be and exactly what it's going to look like. And they come up with some really crazy ideas. They've got an unhealthy obsession with the day of the Lord. And it seems that that last one, uh, fascinating over all the details, was what was perhaps going on in Thessalonica, which explains perhaps why Paul starts off by telling the Christians, you already know about the day of the Lord, and so you should steer clear of any crazy ideas about it. Have a uh, look back, verses 1 to 3. He says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we didn't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. These Christians, they already knew the crucial facts from Jesus' teaching about the coming judgment on this day. Firstly, that it was going to be unexpected. Uh, If you've ever been burgled, uh, I have, you will know you don't get a postcard through your door uh, a few weeks before saying they're going to be in the area and they might drop in. You don't get a text in the morning saying that they'll be with you in half an hour or an hour later. It's unexpected. It catches you out. You're not ready for it. Just like uh, the tide did with those cockle pickers. And sadly, lots of people in our world live like spiritual cockle pickers when it comes to God's judgment. They continue to reject God thinking they're safe from his judgment or that it just won't come. They're wandering through life with their heads down in the sand, focusing on plenty of other things. Career, family, studies, relationships, maybe some people even 
are focused on collecting shells. But these spiritual cockle pickers, they're in the dock. And they're so focused on collecting cockles, or whatever it might be, they're not ready for the unexpected tidal wave of God's judgment, the day of the Lord. But the Christians knew that. They knew that. They also knew that spiritual uh, cockle pickers won't escape. Now, looking around at uh, most of us uh, in this room, not all, uh, many of us will have no idea really what it's like to give birth. I certainly have no idea about that, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, But I've seen from my short experience of One Born Every Minute, which I turn off fairly quickly if I can, uh, I can kind of get the idea of what Paul is saying. Because once those uh, pains start, there's no going back. The pain is inescapable. And for most of the husbands, the grip of their wives is inescapable as well. But for many people today, uh, God's judgment is going to be sudden, unexpected, and inescapable. It will be a day of disaster. Uh, We've got a slide that comes up in our morning services and evening services at the moment, which tells us that 59 people in just this country alone don't know Jesus. You can perhaps think of friends and family who don't know Jesus. Uh, You can perhaps think of a friend that comes along to TNG with you on a Friday night who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow them. For them, that day will be a day of disaster. It will be sudden, unexpected, and inescapable. And that is the case uh, for you at the moment if your faith is not in Jesus. Now, that day has not come yet, But what an incredibly dangerous game to play, to test God's patience, to not turn to him. God doesn't want you to perish, but he will bring about his justice. And just these first few verses as we get started in this passage show us that it will be sudden. And crucially, if your faith isn't in Christ, it will be inescapable. Now, Steve's already alluded to the fact that Christians believe Uh, In good news, God would welcome anyone who turns back to him, who acknowledges their sin, who puts their trust in Jesus and follows him. But just at the start, it's worth thinking about that, isn't it? As we come up to Christmas, 59 million people in this country who will not expect it and they will not escape it at the moment. But the point um, of this passage is is not actually primarily to warn uh, non-Christians. It's actually to encourage Christians while they wait for Jesus' return. And and we're going to look at three things that Paul teaches uh, Christians about how to wait. Uh, Unfortunately, I think they just about all begin with S. We'll see how it goes. Firstly, they're not to be surprised. Secondly, they're not to be sleepy. And lastly, they're not to be solitary soldiers or single soldiers. So three things to take away tonight. Don't be surprised, don't be sleepy, and don't be solitary soldiers. We're going to look at that first one uh, first. Don't be surprised. Verse 4 and 5. Have a look back uh, with me. He says, but you, as opposed to the world, 
Brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Paul says that the day of the Lord should not surprise the Christian. Now, of course, we don't know exactly when it is. Jesus doesn't even know when it is. Only the Father knows when it is. But we do know that it's going to happen. And so we can be ready for it. And Paul explains this uh, by way of contrast. He says that Christians are not in darkness. They're children of the light and of the day. He says again, verse 8, we belong to the day. Now, on the surface, it's kind of as simple as Paul saying, look, you aren't in the dark about this. We often use that phrase. You you know that God's judgment is coming. God's revealed it to you. Uh, So when it comes, you, you shouldn't really be caught out. I don't know if you've ever played that game when you were a kid. What time is it, Mr. Wolf? And you keep asking what time it is. You know it's going to be dinner time. So you're ready to leg it back to the other end of the room. But there's something deeper that Paul was saying too. He says, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now, in, in the Bible, the idea of night or darkness is nearly always related to judgment. Perhaps think about uh, the plague of darkness in Egypt. Uh, perhaps think about the darkness that came over Jesus on the cross when he took God's judgment for our sins. Or, or think about the outer darkness that Jesus says uh, we'll be thrown into if we're not trusting him eternally. He's talking about hell. In Colossians, we we read Christians were once part of a kingdom of darkness. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, it really was as though we were once on the dark side. Not just in the dark in terms of not being aware, but trapped in the dark, actively under Satan's rule and willingly participating in evil and rebellion. Dark picture, isn't it? Ephesians, Paul says, we were once dead in our sin. We were objects uh, of God's wrath. God's wrath was pointed at us. But Paul is saying here, something incredibly significant has happened for the Christian, which makes him different to the rest of the world. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 13, you don't need to turn there, but it says uh, this, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. In other words, Christians were once under the rule of Satan, obeying him, actively sinning, unable to escape. But a great change has taken place for the Christian. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 8 puts it like this. You, Christian, were once darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Because Jesus has died for you, because he died on the cross, uh, because God loves you so much that he would do that for you, he's enabled you to be adopted into his eternal, everlasting family, completely forgiven, and brought into his kingdom, ruled by him. You're no longer ruled by sin. You no longer face God's condemnation. When you stop for a moment and think about that, that is an incredible change. Now, God's judgment is going to come to this world. But Paul says, Christian, don't be surprised. Be ready. 
And in one sense, you already are ready if your faith is in Jesus. You won't be caught out or destroyed. Uh, You needn't look to that day with fear. You can look to it with hope. Isn't that an amazing thing uh, to think about? But don't be surprised uh, when it comes, even though you don't know the times and dates. So that's the first thing he says, don't be uh, surprised. Verses 6 to 10, though, uh, don't be uh, sleepy. Let's read those uh, verses again. He says, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. I'm conscious I may have read that from a slightly uh, different version to the ones that you've got. Paul draws another contrast. You've got a person living in darkness who's sleepy and drunk, and children belonging to the day who are awake and sober, self-controlled. They're they're contrasting pictures of spiritual and moral alertness. You might like to uh, picture uh, one as a spiritual koala bear after about 15 pints, uh, and one to be like a spiritual meerkat after about 15 cans of Red Bull. I didn't realise this, but apparently koala bears are the sleepiest uh, creature on the planet. They enjoy 22 hours of sleep a day. (laughs) Cypher, there's a challenge over the Christmas holidays. See if you can beat that. Now, I don't suggest you make this happen, okay, for all the animal lovers who might be out to get me, but imagine that you gave a koala bear 15 pints. He would be completely unaware and all over the tree, wouldn't he? (laughs) But then compare that with a meerkat after 15 cans of Red Bull. It's great to watch a meerkat up on their hind legs, constantly alert, watching, aren't they? My dog does quite a good impression sometimes, if I've got food. This is kind of a silly illustration, but I hope it helps to see what Paul's saying here. He's saying that those in darkness are spiritually like a drunk, sleepy koala bear, because their eyes are, are completely closed to the prospect of God's judgment. And morally, they're drunk. Just like a a drunk person on a Friday night can't walk in a straight line. Those in darkness, those under Satan's control, they they don't behave in line with the way God has created them to. The way that they don't behave in line with the fact that God is their creator, their king, their judge. That is a picture of what the world is like. But then our Red Bull meerkats... He's incredibly alert. He's incredibly uh, watchful. I'm not sure how controlled a meerkat would be after 15 cans of Red Bull, but you kind of uh, get the idea. Paul's saying that's what the Christian is supposed to be like. Let me read a few verses from other parts of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 to 14 says, Be on your guard. In other words, be watchful, be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong. Now, we aren't to be uh, really obsessive about 
Jesus coming back, uh, constantly kind of looking around us to see if he's about to come. Uh, But it should be on our radar. It should constantly be shaping our thinking. And being alert alert is important for a whole host of reasons. One, because there are real spiritual threats to us. Uh, 1 Peter uh, 5 verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now that, of course, is one of the reasons a meerkat is on the lookout, isn't it? So that he and his family don't get gobbled up. But how much more uh, should we be being alert when there's eternal consequences at stake? Verse 9 tells us uh, that God has appointed you, a Christian, to receive salvation, not wrath. Our eternity is to be with him as our Lord. If you are a Christian, he has handpicked you uh, for that. He's died for you to make the day of the Lord a day of salvation, not a day of condemnation. And Paul says, you need to be uh, alert. Stay on your guard. And he says we need to be sober as well. Now to be, or uh, it says we need to be sober. To be sober uh, or self-controlled in the New Testament really means to be, to be steady and clear-minded as a Christian. To be obediently living out uh, the Christian faith in light of where we're going. I think I left my service sheet uh, down there, so I was going to quote from a song, but I left it down there. Uh, Christians are to live and view their life in light of eternity. That would be to live with a steady, clear mind, wouldn't it? We're to be more concerned about the state of our soul rather than all the pleasures and things we could fill our lives up with now. Now, that doesn't mean uh, we're to be morbid and negative about everything in life. I'm told by uh, friends sometimes I can be a little bit uh, grouchy and not very cheerful. But we're not to be like that. A sober Christian can and, and should be focused on, on heaven but still joyfully and thankfully enjoy all the good gifts that God's given us. But we're not to hold too tightly to them because there's a much greater joy, a much greater prize to come when Jesus comes to take us home. And so we're to think and live like that. If you like, we're to think straight and we're to live straight. And Paul warns us because often we're far more like uh, a sleepy and drunk koala bear than a meerkat on Red Bull. We're not to be uh, sleepy. We're not to be surprised. We're not to be sleepy. Uh, but crucially, I, I think this is a really, really important verse. Verse 11. We're not to be like solitary soldiers. At the end of all that Paul said here, he tells us, he says, therefore... In other words, everything that's come before, this is the implication. This is how you're supposed to put it into practice. He says, encourage one another. Build one another up. Now, we live uh, in a very individualistic world. We talk about our rights, but we don't really talk much about our responsibilities to other people. Uh, We talk about how things are going to affect us, and we don't so much think about how what we might do or say would affect other people around us. 
we tend to think about community, uh, sorry, we tend not to think about community and to think about ourselves individually. Certainly in the West, that's more how we think, isn't it? It's, you know, I could make a comment about the North just about maintaining some sense of community rather than the South, but we haven't got time for that. <laughs> but it's very unlike how Paul thinks, isn't it, individuality? It's very unlike how a Christian should think. Because we could go away and say, well, I mustn't be surprised myself. Uh, and I need to not be sleepy as a Christian. But Paul, in this chapter, and nearly all of his instructions in the New Testament, are to the whole church. So much of in this passage, you can look now or you can look later. He says, we, or us. Well, he has the idea of a family. There's a, there's a togetherness, there's community in mind. It's in Paul's thinking all of the time, and it's his application to us here. Together, we're not to be surprised. And together, we're not to be sleepy. And so he says, encourage one another. Build one another up. You've, you've got a responsibility, not just for yourself, but for other people. And they do for you, but don't think primarily like that. Think about them. Which is why I said, don't be like solitary soldiers. The picture of uh, clothing, Paul gives us a picture of clothing, doesn't he? Uh, ourselves for battle in verse 8. It's a soldier getting uh, kitted up for action. Uh, but if we think of it like this, it's an army of soldiers who go out into the battlefield shoulder to shoulder. Faith and love is their breastplate together and hope is their shared helmet they wear them together and they work together as a unit and it's helpful isn't it to if you've played a uh, video games it's the idea is that you you just pick people off with a sniper uh, but normally uh, what happens on the battlefield is that people the weak people get picked off if you don't stay together people get picked off and part of God's way of ensuring that sleepiness or uh, sleepiness and unchristian behaviour doesn't set in in church life is because Christians encourage and build one another up. And it particularly seems in 1 Thessalonians, if we'd read the whole book, encouraging and building one another up in faith, hope and love, uh, faith, love and hope is key. And that's why your attitude to church really, really matters. Let me give you a, a few practical examples to think uh, this through. It's Wednesday evening. It's a house group night or a midweek night or perhaps uh, Sunday night. Uh, you're thinking about church. You're thinking about cipher. Well, I wonder what you're thinking about those things. Are you thinking, you know, I've had a really busy week. I feel really tired I'd rather watch some TV. I've got some homework and some coursework, which, to be honest, I haven't really prioritised the rest of the weekend while I was catching up on whatever it was on Saturday morning because I was on Facebook for three hours. Are you thinking, I can't really be bothered? Do you think, I'm finding what we're looking at, a house group, it's just a bit hard work on a Wednesday night after work or I really don't want to go because I know so and so is going to be there and do you know what 
They're quite hard work to talk to, and nobody else bothers to talk to them, and it's always me who has to talk to them. Notice all of those things began with I. Or is it, how can I go to these groups and encourage other people? Who could I uh, sit next to tonight at church who's on their own? Who could I ask about their week? Who could I, I practically, practically love perhaps this week by inviting them around for a meal? Who could I pray with? Who could I pray for? Or what about just this one? What effect is it going to have if I'm not there on the other people in my buzz group? Well, what am I saying to other people about following Jesus if my homework is more important than spending an hour at Cypher on a Sunday night? It's interesting that even just physically being together is an encouragement, isn't it? And it's a crucial thing. Hebrews 10, 25 says this, Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul says community really, really matters. So don't be uh, solitary soldiers. Now perhaps there's a a challenge to us to think through uh, when we do meet up uh, with others. Whether we're actually using it to personally uh, build others up. Ephesians 4 tells us, speak the truth in love. That way... We, in all things, grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, I know after the service or at another point, it's really easy, isn't it, to talk about the football or to talk about that video on Facebook that's quite funny because it's got a cat in it falling off a something. But we're instructed to build one another up, not talk about cats or other things like that. We're to speak the truth in love. Now, I'm not saying we need to spiritualise every single conversation. It's fine to talk about those things. Maybe not cats, but it's fine to talk about other things. But it does seem, doesn't it, that we need to regularly use our words to do that. It might be that some of us uh, need to think seriously about whether we are building others up. It's quite possible, isn't it, to not build people up, but also to tear people down, to spread negativity about someone in a group, to talk about them behind their back, to take Christian uh, banter so far that that it kind of becomes a a, a nice kind of Christian bullying that we don't really talk about. Or simply we just leave people out. It's not particularly encouraging when that happens. Now, as we begin to close, it's worth stopping to think, isn't it? Am I doing all that I can do to encourage Others, in light of that day. How could I build somebody up this week? Is there something I'm doing which actually is discouraging uh, other people or tearing them down that I need to stop? Because we're in it together. We're not single soldiers. Uh, We're more like a band of brothers and sisters. Paul's saying, don't be like single soldiers. Encourage one another. Build one another up more and more and more. If you go through Thessalonians, he says more and more, an awful lot. More and more as we see that day approaching. On that day, uh, the day of the Lord, unlike the world, the Christian isn't going to be surprised. They'll be saved. 
your faith is in Jesus. But because you've been brought into God's kingdom, you're children of light and you ought not to be sleepy and you ought not to be like a single soldier. And surely, uh, as we particularly come up to Christmas, shouldn't we be seeking as best we can to share that hope that we have in the Lord Jesus at every opportunity? Let's uh, pray briefly. Heavenly Father, we praise you that through the death of the Lord Jesus, you've enabled us to be rescued from the dominion of darkness and into his glorious kingdom. We thank you that you call us children of light. And we thank you for your grace that we can look forward to that day, not as a day of condemnation, but of salvation. We thank you that we need not be surprised, but that we are already ready if our faith is in Jesus. And we pray that with your help and with one another's help, we would not become spiritually sleepy, that we'd stay alert and awake. We pray that you'd help us to do that individually, but help us together to grow more and more in faith, love and hope. Pray that we wouldn't be solitary soldiers, but that we would support and strengthen one another while we wait for you to come back. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his glory. Amen.